0: Perennial Women, Making the Most of Our Fourth Quadrant. Um, As an associate professor in social science, I was awarded sabbatical for fall semester of 2018. My goal was to enter into conversation with other active and engaged women over 60 in an effort to discover just what made us tick. Over an eight-month time period, I made an extensive and leisurely road trip from Portland, Oregon to San Diego, California, and from there to Tampa, Florida. Various friends and family rode with me from time to time, but yes, I did drive most of the way. As Lonnie said, I teach full-time at Hawaii Community College, and teaching is my third career, having retired from the first two. I don't lie about my age. I tell all my classes how old I am, I think they need to see for themselves how aging can look. There are other women like me who have the desire, the knowledge, the expertise and the stamina to continue contributing to the world, even as we age. These are women who are not content to sit home and merely collect their retirement. And I wanted to find them. A Few years ago, I received physical therapy for back surgery And my therapist told me that his, at the time, that his mother was also 84. She's not your 84, he said, referring to my level of activity. His mother retired from working at 65 and now 20 years later, sits in front of the television waiting to die. Many of my students are shocked at my age, not because I think I look younger, I certainly look my age, but because like my therapist, most of them did not grow up in a culture where older women continue to work or to be engaged in life outside the home. So much of our world's culture believes, continues to believe that older women should stay at home, be a good grandma, take care of family members, stay out of sight and not embarrass anyone by being too obvious in society. There's nothing wrong with that. I have children and grandchildren and I love them all dearly but the ageism of society expects us to play the typical role of older women. When I celebrated my 64th birthday, I lived in Pahala in the Ka'u district. A group of friends decided to lovingly serenade me with their rendition of the Beatles, will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? Now doesn't that song lead us to believe that we probably won't be desirable when we reach 64? Dr. Mark Agronin writes the story in his book, The End of Old Age, about gag gifts being given to someone for his 50th birthday. Everyone got a good laugh at age's expense, he writes, but it made me wonder, how would we react to a similar gag gift that denigrated one's gender, ethnicity, or religious identity? He said that it has become accepted that aging is fair game And so we reflexively define aging by its downside. Susan Douglas, who is a professor of communication studies at the University of Michigan, wrote that ageism is one of the last acceptable biases in our culture, but it powerfully intersects with sexism. But this study is not about ageism. It's about celebrating the fact that more of us are living longer and healthier than ever before. And because of that we can be as active as we wish we are loving living proof that the brain doesn't have to die before the body does ashton applewhite wrote a book called this chair rocks i love that title and she asked the question why the disconnect between what i had imagined about old age and the reality that was coming into view New York Times published an article in January 2019 by Jessica Bennett with the title, I am, and in parentheses, an older woman, hear me roar. She writes that older women, long invisible or shunted aside, are experiencing an unfamiliar sensation, power. The oldest, the 10 oldest women in Congress as of February this year, range from 88 down to 78 One former older congresswoman said, we're comfortable in our own skin. We don't put up with nonsense and we have a sisterhood. Before I started my extensive road trip, I researched the current literature devoted to the process of aging and whether that was changing in recent years. What I found, plus my discussions with women between the ages of 60 and 104, revealed that the conventional archetype of later adulthood is definitely being redefined. I found women to talk to through friends, word of mouth and emails asking them if they would be interested in taking part in this conversation. In turn, they each told their friends and the numbers grew from there. As I traveled, I made stops along the way to visit with the interested women and to ask questions. Each one said, oh, you must talk to so-and-so, here's her number. Elder women were coming out of the closet in droves and they wanted to be included in the world's diversity. Women in this age group have acquired a new understanding, a level of awareness, a new perspective about life as we reach this quadrant of our journey. I wanted to use the name perennials for this stage in a woman's life a metaphor to describe these strong women who feel that they are forever blooming. This study refers specifically to older women who continue to bloom in various ways, regardless of age or circumstances. They're highly engaged in life and proud to consider themselves to be perennials. As I talked to older women and read about the roles that they play in the world, I also found websites devoted to traditionally marginalized or invisible older women. But I also found dating sites for senior women, articles on feminist gerontology, so much more. One example of a politically active organization comprised of older women is the National Council of Grey Panthers Networks. Another group of women that I found are the Raging Grannies who write that they are out in the streets promoting peace, justice, social and economic equality through song and humor. As older women, we have traveled Joseph Campbell's mythological hero's journey many times in various aspects of our lives. Through our first three quadrants of that journey, we accepted challenges, faced dragons, and at times we were pushed to depths of despair. We learned how to manage the trials and the temptations of life. We developed new insights about our lives. And now we have emerged, ready to face anything required of us. Now that we are in the fourth quadrant of that journey, we are feeling empowered and blessed. According to Campbell, this fourth quadrant of the journey that we have taken is a time of self-realization, self-actualization. On my physical journey, my road trip, the perennials I discovered are in the fourth quadrant of their life journey. These women can help us rethink what we can or cannot do as we get older, as we engage in this final quadrant of our life. There were primary questions that I wanted to ask. Why did they think they had surpassed other women their age with so much vitality? Why had they chosen to continue being active rather than sit in a rocking chair? Why do they continue to be vitally interested in life? In other words, did they have any secrets to share? The women who discussed their lives with me said they were doing what they had always done, often taking on new activities and responsibilities with no concern for their biological age. None of them ever questioned whether they were too old to be doing what they did. By interviewing these perennials, I hoped to discover what they believed made them different, where their stamina or drive had originated. Each woman offered a story that was worthy of a separate chapter in a book, which may yet come about. And they all enjoyed thinking of themselves as perennials, women who keep blooming. The women I met are of various ethnic backgrounds. They're Native American, African American, Cuban, European, Hawaiian, Asian, and they ranged from close acquaintances to total strangers. Most were moving ahead in life in spite of traditional systems of belief that would put them in a nursing home. They all continue to live independently in their own homes. In many cultures, stereotypes of aging determine whether or not family members will put their parents in a facility as they grow older. So what did I find on my quest for answers? Initially, I anticipated that energetic longevity must be the result of heavy living, strong genes, freedom from typical health issues. And yet I found women who had survived breast cancer, heart attacks, multiple surgeries, debilitating health problems, and so much more. So I wanna share with you here just a few of their stories to illustrate what is possible with a perennial mindset. Other than their age, I found several areas that all women had in common. So there were more than a few surprises in these conversations. The most universal and the main one that I will discuss here was their energy. Since childhood, these women have been energetic, questioning how things work, often taking them apart just to put them back together again, looking at issues with unusual perspectives with unexpected and new ways of living life. If such a diagnosis had been in existence in their childhood, many would have been considered ADHD children. Fortunately, we were merely viewed as precocious and often exasperating little girls. This energy was typical of the reaction these women faced as a child. One retired professor said that as a child, I was a handful for my mother was very active, loud, and rambunctious with lots of physical energy. She was a highly verbal little girl who loved to talk, sing, move around, loved being the center of attention. Another admitted that not only was she a hyperactive child, but she remains a hyperactive adult. She had such difficulty in sitting still long enough to be interviewed that she pranced around while we talked. My third grade teacher told my mother that if Lucy Lee does not stay in her chair, I'm going to tie her in it. In listening to these women, the theme of being overly active and curious as children was repeated over and over. And for most, it has continued into their adult life. A Danish woman in her mid thirties told of marrying as a young woman and then moving from Denmark Denmark to America with her young husband. She tried several careers, teaching, business, secretarial work, and she concluded her story of each career with, but then I got bored, and so she looked for something else to do. She became a cruise director for a few years, and ultimately the Automobile uh, American Automobile Association hired her to direct a world cruise, and that's what she continued doing until just a few years before I met her. The urgency to stay active, follow these women into their adult lives. <clears throat> One said she continues to be extroverted, social, involved in many school, neighborhood, church, and Girl Scout friendships. She loves the outdoors, continues to engage in competitive athletics, baseball, softball, basketball, swimming, bicycle riding, hiking. And at the same time, she loves to sit quietly to read and learn new things. Another currently teaches anatomy and physiology and creates exquisite jewelry to sell on Etsy, fully using both sides of her brain. Among other things in her past life, she received her certificate in aerobics with a sponsorship from Nike. She exercises, swims with the dolphins in Kealakikua Bay, does yoga, takes supplements, goes to an acupuncturist once a month, and teaches full-time. In her early 60s, she feels and acts more like middle 40s, she said. I talked with a number of professors who were envious that I continued to teach, saying they wished they had kept on teaching rather than let themselves be re- talked into retiring so quickly. Somehow we are expected to retire when we reach 65 or so, but I discovered that women in their elder years have more to give now than ever before. We're no longer hampered with family responsibilities and we have the experiences of life to share. I had coffee with a woman in downtown St. Petersburg, Florida who was in her mid seventies. Besides volunteering and generally being active, she bikes 10 miles four to five times a week, does strength training for several hours each week. She recalled women her age and I think many of us can When she was a child, most of the women who were older were mostly reliant on family members to get them out and about. They wore what I would call old fashioned house dresses and had their hair done once a week at the beauty shop. One woman who has been a friend for over 40 years gave me a video of a speech that she had given recently. And I was reminded of her fascinating background. Born in Selma, Alabama, She knew the only way that she could avoid picking cotton on her father's farm for the rest of her life was to go off to college. She majored in English. and later became an officer in the Marine Corps, finally retired from that and became a Dean for one of the California community colleges. As a single unmarried woman, she adopted and raised a baby girl of black Korean mix while she was stationed in Korea. Later on, she married and had a baby boy and I am the honorary auntie of both children who are highly educated and productive citizens of the world. Two of the women I interviewed were my own daughters, ages 65 and 63. Both talked about retiring, but they said, we'll just find something else to do like you did. They have since retired and I know that they will continue to be active. And like most of the women that I interviewed, retirement for them meant simply taking a step in a new and different direction, exploring new options with no rules while having a retirement income to help get them started. I already knew that both daughters are very creative and active, but I discovered that my older daughter, a grandmother of six, is highly competitive, which I didn't know. My younger daughter said there are 104 steps in her office building and she walks all of them several times a day. Both daughters practice yoga daily, take supplements, go camping, and they love to work in their gardens. One amazing woman I talked with was born with Down syndrome. Today, she is 68 years of age, possibly the oldest living Downs person alive. She was taken in by her older sister who was another interviewee when their parents died and she loves to create items like potholders to give as gifts. Press on regardless is the motto of one of one very fashionable retired English professor in her 80s, who said she feels about 80, 55. I never turned down a trip to anywhere, she said. She grew up wanting to be a veterinarian, but her highest grades in college were in English So she became an English professor. Today, she goes to the gym to lift weights, takes many supplements, does yoga, hikes, plans to always remain positive. Are you seeing another trend here? Another woman works with refugees and was in the process of trying to find someone who spoke Somalian. She grew up the child of a Southern Baptist missionary and lived all over the world and that has helped her relate to the refugees that come into Florida. She's another of those women who considers herself to have been a hyperactive child and always curious. In the future, she plans to get back to writing poetry and travel stories, perhaps some journalism. Because my own life has been filled with various paths, I wondered if other women also found it difficult to decide where their future career would take them. So I ask if they were roads not taken and how they made the decisions that they did. One of my interviewees is in the process of retiring from teaching a middle school language arts class. So in the future, she plans to get back to directing plays, the road not taken for her. She knew that she could never make a living by going into a drama career. She was another of those hyperactive little girls, with three brothers, into outside activities, always curious, and loved to pretend, which probably explained her flair for drama. She said, tell young women to stay healthy and curious, to keep going and doing what they love, not to give up their dreams. In reflecting on a road not taken, one therapist said, I feel my life is more about the roads that I did and that I wasn't afraid to take a new path to go on a new adventure like moving to other states, trying new jobs or business opportunities. This attitude was strong among all the women that I interviewed. Making a decision to stick to one path in life sounded dreadfully dull to me. At one point in my life, I sold everything I owned. I bought a 37 foot sailboat and lived on it for about five years in California. At another point, I left Arizona where I was living at the time and came to Hawaii. Perhaps it's time for me to make another jump. One of my favorite interviewees has since died at the age of 90. As a young woman, she got married on a bet, but the marriage lasted 62 years and produced five children. Her father was the acting Surgeon General of the United States, was friends with Eisenhower, and helped to take care of Ike after his heart attack. While the family was living in Germany, she attended the University of Heidelberg. When she returned to the US on a trip ship with her family, she transferred to Washington State University and eventually worked as an EMT for many years. Prior three years prior to our conversation, she had a stroke, but considered herself to be healthy. She clenched her fist in anger at her loss of independence after the stroke. A few years ago she had some ailment that she wanted to have treatment but the doctor told her she was too old to bother with it in my early 60s i was referred to an orthopedic surgeon here on the big island for some complications following foot surgery that i'd had in tucson the doctor did his examination and as he moved, moved walked me out of his office he very kindly put his arm around my shoulder and said you know i could do something to fix that but at your age I don't think I'd bother. I didn't bother telling him that I was a hiker and a backpacker, that I was on my feet constantly as a pastor and a teacher, and that I didn't think wanting to be able to walk at 60 was unreasonable. On her LinkedIn profile, one woman wrote remaining open to the joy that life has to offer has brought multiple blessings to me. Everyone I meet has something special something unique or extraordinary about them. Real people and their stories are fascinating. That tells everything about this delightful woman. She grew up in Hawaii and lived on various islands throughout the state. Now in her early 70s, she's a retired elementary school principal. And she admits that her main challenge today is how to be a mother to her adult children. Like so many others, she's exploring various avenues, looking at what she can do for personal satisfaction. Another good friend is concerned that her adult children don't seem to appreciate what she's doing for herself. They're too self-absorbed and they don't get as excited over her earning a PhD as they did, as they get over having her babysit for them or telling her about a new boyfriend. She has a granddaughter who is quite gifted and bright. So she concentrates on offering her museums, art galleries, encouraging her in her writing, creative activities that she gave her own children but doesn't see them doing the same for their children. It wasn't until her children were grown and into their own adult lives that she started realizing how smart she was. She was one of my early students at community college here and went to the mainland for her master's degree and now is finishing up her Ph.D. One of my interviewees in her eighties was unable to walk because of swollen legs and feet. So she sat in her chair the entire time we talked. But her yard and her windows were full of political signs. She makes numerous political phone calls. She even asked me the disturbing question of where I placed my priority in social action. When I told her I was interested in climate change, she said, so what are you doing about it? How are you actively involved? She was raised as a Quaker and has always been involved in social justice issues. While I was there, a delivery person brought a package, a new computer. So thank you for coming, she said to me. Now I have to go put that together. All the women either were trying something new in their later years, like traveling alone, which I have done, learning a musical instrument, going back to school for new careers, or they were continuing to do what they had always done and never considering retirement. I have considered retirement. And at almost 87, there are still other things I want to do before I leave this planet. I plan to be one of those many people who continue working and being involved well past 100. Even with ill health, many do continue living and enjoying life because their mental agility is still healthy. There's no word for retirement in the Okinawan language, for example, and in other cultures as well. But Okinawa boasts the world's only centenarian pop band. BBC featured an article in 2018 by Zaria Gorvet titled, What if we have to work until we're 100? Ms. Gorvet states that most centenarians are surprisingly healthy. They might have more wrinkles than a naked mole rat, but on the inside, they're often in better shape than much younger parish uh, pensioners. One recent study found that they tend to suffer from fewer diseases than those who are up to two decades younger. Later, she writes, back in 2016, science, scientists examined the health and the abilities of centenarians who had registered to vote in New York and found that they showed very few signs of senility and were after all functioning at a remarkably high level. One woman in the group that I talked to celebrated her 105th birthday this past March. When I visited her, she had just finished reading a book by Carl Jung. And now as a devoted reader, she was excited to find a book about his wife, Emma. This woman had experienced many health issues like breast cancer and hip replacement. Yet she continues to drive her car and does her own shopping. A keen interest in life rather than good health Is helping her to live as a centenarian. One woman in Florida in her late 70s continues to present leadership and management workshops. Over lunch she described the one she finished in Istanbul just two years prior to our meeting. Another retired professor joined a choir and decided to take voice lessons, something she never had time for while working full-time. We spent three hours over tacos discussing her search for a purpose in life. Then she gave me book titles and names of other women to interview. She expressed another common theme when she said, I never liked sexist treatment, so I do not like ageist treatment either. In each sex uh, situation, she decides how to react and whether it's worth challenging or confronting the individual. But she said, I am open, more open now to asking the person to avoid using ageist language with me. Recently, I had to ask a student not to refer to older women as cute. Most of the women I talked to also said they had trouble conforming to gender expectations for children. They attribute their stamina to a strong history of being very active and involved, a high level of natural energy, good health, plus a need for meaning and purpose in life outside of themselves. Some have wondered if the women I interviewed all had a higher degree. My answer is that they all had a keen intelligence, but they did not all have a formal higher education. I also have been asked about the family life of the women that I ran into. Were they all single with no family to take care of, allowing them to do as they wished? The women I interviewed were a mix of singles, women with adult children, they were widowed or divorced, some cared for an invalid husband, some were living with a husband who was equally as active. One told of meeting, falling in love and partnering with a woman and they are still together after 37 years. After a rocky start with her partner's family, she soon became an active and beloved aunt in that family system. The notion of family is often one more element in the lives of older children, but it's not the overriding aspect. In my own case, I have two adult daughters and two adult sons, nine adult grandchildren with children of their own, giving me 11 great grandchildren. And one of those has reached adult age also. I don't try to run their lives and they don't try to run mine. We love, enjoy and value each other as intelligent human beings. One of the complicating issues during my interviewing was the amount of self-disparagement that I found among older women. Every woman who responded to my invitation found some disparaging thing to say about herself. I sat with one group of five women who were all retired college professors, all in their mid to late 90s and most with their PhD a rare phenomenon in in itself for that age group. As we talked, I was surprised at how quickly they started talking about what their husbands had done, indicating that their own accomplishments were nothing to talk about. One of these energetic women, now 98, told of her double wedding ceremony in 2006 with her granddaughter, a celebration that was written up in the New York Times because it involved two faiths and two generations. As a retired professor from a prestigious college, she talked about what her husband had done, although she is a scholar in her own right. One friend who is less than 10 years my junior sold real estate to get through school. She was a therapist at the same time I was, later worked as a diver with a research group in Mexico for the Smithsonian, helped to transport sailboats with her husband learned to fly and is now a flight instructor with a waiting list of students. When I asked to interview her, she said, oh, I haven't done anything out of the ordinary. Is it because women who are 60 and older were raised in an era of deferring to the male population? This trend was striking to me and worthy of notice, even as I observed the same pattern in my own life. I wanted to hear these perennials speak and to be recognized. But I learned that with few exceptions, women are very hesitant to brag about or even talk about what they've done. They all seem to indicate that anything they did was that was the least bit interesting or even spectacular was no big deal. Not one of them thought that what they had done was anything extraordinary. We all, including myself, tend to denigrate our accomplishments or belittle the fact that we have kept putting ourselves out there doing some amazing things. Are women conditioned from birth to put down their abilities while trying to build up others? That whole phenomenon seems to be typical of women in general, but especially in older women. Are we afraid of what we will find out about ourselves? That we might be something special after all? Or is it because we consider what we do to be normal? I tend to think that's more the case and that is what sets us apart as perennial women We take our accomplishments in stride as being typical rather than unusual. There is one group of women I found, however, who have yet another unusual take on getting older. They are proving that old is not what it used to be. I'm talking about the glamorous grandmas of Instagram. They call themselves the Instagrams. One of them says, I'm not 20, I don't wanna be 20, but I'm really freaking cool. Another said, when I was young, we were burning our bras and prom- promoting free love. We were getting high. Why would we accept the aging image of our mothers? An 83-year-old former Playboy buddy recently began to model lacy black and lingerie on her Instagram. Wear what you like, she said. Age appropriate has nothing to do with it. Another commented, you don't have to be perfect to have confidence. You can still show your cleavage without being told to cover up. Another Instagram said, we are not going to be little old ladies sitting in a nursing home with blue rinsed hair. But if we are going to be in a nursing home, we'll be there with our marijuana, our health foods and our great sense of style. There's a Japanese girl band called KBG 84 they only accept members over the age of 80 and they always play to a sellout crowd the author of the article said that these women are still subscribing to the counterculture values and maverick stance that they adopted in the 1960s and 70s one of my favorite times articles was written five years ago when one woman at 68 reclaimed the spotlight as a model In her early 70s, she is now a cover girl. The president of IMG Models who has begun to represent her said people want to see age and size because that's who their friends are. She has a very well-known son. And yes, I am talking about May Musk, Elon Musk's mother. A cosmetics company that sells skincare products, health foods and underwear at all department stores across Japan now employs about 1,500 people, mostly women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. In our own country, we have Boom by Cindy Joseph. that's described as a pro-age cosmetic line for women of every generation. In the preface to his book, What Are Old People For?, Dr. Bill Thomas writes, we live in an exciting time. There is a new old age waiting to be discovered, ready to be explored. Dr. Thomas is a geriatrician and a champion of what he calls elderhood. He tells us to embrace aging because we are all elders in the making. He is the founder of Changing Aging, an online newsletter journal advocating for elders. He states that fewer and fewer medical residents are pursuing geriatrics as a specialty. And yet the older population is increasing rapidly According to Dr. Thomas, we need 6,250 more geriatricians over the next 10 years. I have a friend whose son is a psychiatric gerontologist in Wales, but he said the need for more is massive. Who will answer that call? Dr. Charles Emmett, professor of social work at the University of Washington in Tacoma, observes that gerontology has been underrepresented in many health and behavioral sciences, including medicine, nursing, psychology, and social work. There are very few psychologists who are qualified to work with this population. Dr. Forrest Scogan says, now that more of us have the privilege of growing older than ever before, the study of aging has never been more important than it is now. He is a professor of psychology at the University of Alabama and the former president of the Society of Clinical Psychology. According to the administration on aging, the dementia rates are dropping even as our population ages, which indicates that people continue to be capable and productive, defying a popular assumption. I hold up these perennials as role models for women young and old, so they won't succumb to the traditional roles expected of women, even modern women in the current fourth wave of feminism. It is possible to be an older woman of substance, whether we hold the role of single woman, mother, sister, daughter, wife, grandmother, or great-grandmother. We are not defined by those roles, even if they are a strong and delightful part of our lives. Dr. Carl Jung is one of my favorite psychologists, and what he says must be true. A human being would certainly not grow to be 70 or 80 years old if this longevity had no meaning for the species to which it belongs. The afternoon of human life must also have a significance of its own and cannot be merely a pitiful appendage to life's morning. There's a term going around lately about being woke. These are woke women. They are living lives of being woke. As I finish out the fourth quadrant of my journey here on planet Earth, I plan to continue working with playing with studying and organizing with older woke women to encourage them to egg them on toward whatever field they wish to experience. I discovered that many of them want further guidance in finding the focus for this fourth quadrant of their lives and their journey. They want to use their abilities in some creative manner, not only for their own satisfaction, but to help others create a more inclusive and rewarding life. Thank you. So now I think it's Q and A time. Yes, Um,
1: thank you, Dr. Lucy Jones. That was really, really wonderful. Um, So, you know, we'd just like to open it up right now to anybody who wants to ask questions, you can go ahead and raise your hand and I'll call on you or uh, if you feel more comfortable you could put it in the chat and I will read it or if you want to ask anonymously you could also send me a message in the chat and I could read it for you Uh, but please feel feel free to jump in and ask your question anybody Uh, Joy Fisher. Uh, you have to unmute.
2: I have a friend in Canada who is just finishing up her PhD. She's uh, past 70 now. She uh, is doing it on uh, aspects of aging. And I'm just wondering whether or not today's. Um, lecture has been recorded i'd love to send it on to her just for her information
1: yes it, ha- it is being recorded right now and then after usually if we get the presenter's permission we we could send it to your friend or send it to you to send it along
2: yes oh that would be wonderful i'd love that
1: mm-hmm. Uh, Betsy and then Trina.
3: Yes, uh, I think you made a very good point, Lucy, among many other points you made about the lack of uh, young people going into gerontology and geriatrics now. I think so many of them maybe um, think that this is just sort of old age care and it's boring and nursing homework or something. They just don't know. and for the rest of you, I took part of Lucy's class on aging this year, and we read some fascinating things about gerontology as a career and geriatrics. And I just wonder for all of us, how we can encourage people to go into this field. I mean, you know, when I talk to young people, they want to get into the cutting edge field of genetic research, because that's where it's at, so to speak. And gerontology sounds like working with old folks in a nursing home, and it it is not appealing to young people. So, I mean, I think it's a fascinating field. And so I'd like to open up the discussion of how we can encourage younger people to find it fascinating, too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A lot of them, after they have uh, taken that Class on ge- social gerontology, decide that it's really a fascinating field. So, I'm hoping that those who are like pre nursing or pre medicine of any kind, or even psychology going into psychology, will uh, think about considering gerontology. It's one reason why I offered the class, uh, is for those, you know, to take that who are going into some career that could use gerontologists. Thank you, Trina. Hi,
2: I'm actually not Trina. Trina gave me access to this. Sorry. No, Ellie Rodriguez, that's okay. It's not the the fault of anybody, but um, I just wanted Lucy to talk about sex.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sex. Yes, we all do sex. (laughs) It doesn't stop. It just gets better actually because you're not worried about getting pregnant. You know, you can take your time and trust me, with some of the men out there, it takes time. But yeah, it doesn't stop. Thank you. (laughs) Keep going, girl.
1: (laughs) Um, Andy has their hand up.
4: Hey, Lucy. Thank you so much for um, allowing me to take part in this. Um, I think I'm a quadrant three and I just wanted to say thank you to you as a four and all the perennial women that you interviewed to really help inspire me to really realize that we have so much power within us and we don't have to wait until we are older to use that power. It's here with us now, you know, and the the experiences shared and the stories that you shared and the ones that we can go out and ask people around us can really help inspire us to just um, stand up, be stronger, and, you know, not sit back to celebrate our strength. And um, thank you. I just want to thank you so much for going on that trip and sharing it with us. And I'm sorry, I'm crying. That's just how I am. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. So mine's more of a thank you.
0: Yeah, I I really loved talking with the women that I did. Um, And it seems like, um, it sounded like a lot of the ones that I interviewed were former professors. And that is true, but I did also interview a lot of people who um, were just simply of this age group, but who were doing all kinds of volunteer work, um, who were very active in politics, very active in um, a lot of volunteer work that is so important. And, you know, um, I remember some of the the women from when I was a child that by 60, they were considered too old to be doing anything and that's just not true anymore. And so, you know, I encourage uh, young women, to please keep going. When I'm teaching the course on uh, social gerontology, one of the requirements is to do an interview of a woman over 65, uh, because I want them to also talk to other women and find out what they are doing, how their life was. And that's always been a, a rewarding experience to read later on what they uh, wrote and who they talked with. I think here in this culture in particular, it's not as common to find um, women of my age who are out and and being as active in in the world. And that's why I want my students to know how old I am. So I think it's important for them to know that older women can, can be out there and doing other things
5: So Lucy, Trina. Yeah. Hello. I want to thank you so much for sharing your findings. And of course, you've been an inspiration to our department at Hawaii CC. Thank you. And and the you know, the other departments, but we only know more (laughs) intimately about our department. And um, I encourage you to publish your book. So I think that uh, that would be a nice contribution to this field.
0: Well, Um, I am retiring at the end of the summer and um, that's kind of in the works. mm -hmm. I have a lot more stories to talk about and to to write about.
5: Great. And um, I too am looking forward to doing some writing. I'm good for those of you Some of you, hi there. I haven't seen you in years, (laughs) Betsy. And um, where did um, our couple of our friends from Manoa?
0: Kathy Ferguson, is she still there? Yeah, Kathy's around. I don't know if she's, she had a class to teach. Ah, yeah, we're, we're. um, She'll get the recording.
5: Yeah, we we're, we're um, compatriots in starting women's studies yeah. in the 90s and uh, with Noelle, the Women's Center. So
2: um, there's I, a lot of history here. Is that the same Kathy Ferguson who wrote the feminist case against bureaucracy? Yes, Probably. yes,
0: yes. So <laughs> She's one know, of my uh, teachers right now. I love her. Yeah. She's great. <laughs> ah, she's still teaching too. Okay. Yeah.
5: Anyway, great to see some of you perennials.
0: <laughs> get, get politically active. I think that that's another way that we can um, encourage older women to do doing things. Some of you may have heard yourselves in my stories. <laughs> Claudette, yeah. So
6: I know I was thinking about political activism and Jane Fonda. I mean, that's fascinating. Right. Uh, I was sitting here thinking about like uh, dealing with ageism. You know, sometimes I don't know about the rest of you but I can be in a situation and I feel like going hello, I'm a person, I'm here, I, yeah. you know, I have something to contribute, but sometimes I feel like I'm I'm somewhat discounted, ignored, or put on the back burner. It's annoying as yeah. so. <laughs> hell.
0: We are, and I think that, that, you know, hopefully that can change. I don't know if it ever will, but I remember uh, going in to pick up a pair of glasses from an optician, and the little gal that was waiting on me said, "Now you just sit down right here, honey, and I'll be right back, okay?" You know, <laughs> I'm I'm not a little old lady, definitely not a little old lady. Um, yeah, and I'm out there having sex, and I'm doing all these other things, you know, that that uh, that people don't realize. Um, and one of my interviewees uh, is a retired professor in Florida, and she's one that, that mentioned, um, you know, saying that she has to learn whether or not it's worth her effort to, to counteract aging comments to her. And I agree with that. I think we have to decide whether or not, you know, um, one of my students was writing about somebody that she had talked with and she said, oh, she was just so cute. And I said, don't call older women cute. We are not cute. <laughs> you know, we are women. We're, we're Strong women. So
6: I guess for me is that, that I just end up just kind of, uh, yeah, like, like she was saying, not necessarily confronting the person or having a discussion with him or anything. Just go about doing what I want to do. <laughs> That's
0: right. That's right. Yeah. That's, that shows itself, right, what you're doing and who you are. Yeah, keep teaching flying. <laughs> trying. <laughs> it's been difficult. Yeah. yeah.
6: Well, the, during oh, the everything's been difficult for everybody, right? We all are kind oh, of. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would assume everybody's been in a slump and, yeah. and trying to pull themselves up out of it. At least I am. So, right. I'm pretty busy. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. I'm one of those ones that's always moving, right? Oh, <laughs> right <being> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't sit still. <laughs>
1: There's yeah. a question in the chat uh, from Monisha. OK. And right.
0: uh, would folks like me to read it or? Well, uh, the question that I read here is see, did you find trends in your interviews that show that your interviews returned to giving care to young children and their families? Um, Ooh, there's a lot there. (laughs) Thank you, Monisha. A lot of what you've asked there would be another whole talk. Um, Yes, I think that, um, and a lot of the women that I did talk with, uh, they do take turns. They, you know, do help with the younger children. That doesn't mean that we're still not um, busy and doing things for ourselves as well. Um, Yeah, I I think that, That just, it doesn't define us, that's the thing. Even though we might be helping out with with the children. I think it's also up to the families to realize that we are still individuals. We are still human beings who have needs and desires and, and abilities of our own. I think slowly that in some families that attitude is changing certainly none of my children would ever think to, you know, um, put me into that role. One of, the,
6: one of the things I find is, though, it's in some ways, it's easier to lend a helping hand. I have the time and I'm financially secure enough that, you know, right. I don't have to worry about some of those things that other people have to worry about. Right. So I can take time to so he to hears. do things for other people. Yeah. I'm fortunate in that I do it as I want to do it, not because somebody is saying I have to do it. Right, right.
0: That's part of the power of being an older woman.
1: I, I have a question. Um, thank you for that talk, it was wonderful. From what I could tell, you know, you interviewed women living in a range of places. I'm curious about how many of them maybe were in Hawaii and how that might have created a different experience for them in contrast to the folks you might've met traveling elsewhere.
0: I did uh, interview uh, about half of the women that I interviewed and I did probably close to hundred. About half of them were here in Hawaii because I did the trip and then when I came back, I continued to interview here. Yeah, and I still do, you know, I still have women that say to me, I wanted to be a part of that, but I wasn't in town or whatever, so yeah. But the ethnic group itself was and the cultural groups were varied, very different.
1: I saw Betsy with
3: her hand up. One thing I wanna say is that my adult children don't listen to me much anymore. They just don't. They are very busy with their own lives and they're all doing great and they don't need me and blah, blah, blah. But my grandchildren listen to me. And (laughs) that's really satisfying. I can actually keep them sitting down and they love to hear the stories of old days And my growing up, and they are fascinated by my ideas and my experiences. So I've kind of bypassed the 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 generation of my own children because they're doing fine and they don't need it, and they don't seem to want it much either. But it's wonderful to have grandchildren that hang on your every
0: word. (laughs) Yeah, my my children uh, because they're in their sixties, all of them. You know they. They pay more attention to me now than they did say 20 years ago. But um, I have one grandson who still lives uh, here in Kona and um, he stops by whenever he knows I'm gonna give him something. <laughs> when I was moving, I had a lot of things that he wanted to add to his apartment. But he, he does like to stop by. And when he was doing some real estate here in, in, uh, on the big island, he used to use me as an example. He, they, he said that there were people that would come in and they'd say, oh, well, but I just don't want to travel anymore. And I want this. He said, well, my grandma. So he always uses me as an example. My grandma travels a lot and she's, you know, 80 some odd years old. So I, yeah, you're right. Grandchildren sometimes think we're pretty special. Uh, Joy has
2: their hand up. Uh, yes, I just wanted to thank you, Lucy, for this lecture personally, because uh, I'm going to be 80 in August, and 80 was beginning to loom at me like the beginning oh. of the end. And Don't let it. <laughs> now we, I won't. I mean, now, now I've just dis- discovered I'm already five years into my fourth quadrant, so why worry? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so right. much. <laughs> <That's right. laughs>
0: Somebody asked me why I haven't done this with with men, and I said, well, I'm not interested in old men, (laughs) but I I am interested in older women and what we can do. Um, I'm sure that there are a lot of older men, but you know what? It's not as big a deal for them to um, to be important or to have that power. It's pretty much much more typical for them. And so I was looking for the atypical, the typical atypical, if I would say that. Mm
5: -hmm. Uh, Lucy, this is Trina again. I just had a question in terms of your four quadrant model. Did you have uh, approximate ages with the quadrants or how did you, you know?
0: No, actually I used that a thousand years ago, when I was uh, got my PhD, my um, dissertation was based on the um, Campbell's hero's journey as a paradigm for counseling, and so um, I used that because I'm familiar with that paradigm, and um, I think that we are, and it can be at any age, but I think that particularly in our age that. As we get older, we reach that quadrant uh, where the hero comes back who is empowered. Um, they've been through all kinds of disasters, you know. We faced the dragons, um, and we've succeeded. And so, it it doesn't depend on an age, but I think that overall, you know, that we have we're in that quadrant. Huh. Okay, but not a specific age. Yeah. Any other questions? Um, I was looking at the rest of Manisha's um, comment here. Um, interviewing to you, listening to you makes me wonder if there's a way for you to narrate this outside of the neoliberal consumer capitalist log- logics that value bodies only if they contribute interesting well i'm hoping that if i can make it to a book writing a book that perhaps there will be a way i can can do that and um, i have talked with a lot of, of people who have been interested in in this who are not in that neoliberal consumer category I think I'd like to encourage people who are not in that. Like I said, I, a lot of them that I interviewed were professors or retired professionals of some sort. Um, and that was what I, I wanted to, to look at during my sabbatical. And so I found women that were not, um, not as highly educated, and yet they were still, because they had an interest, were still out there doing something of value and and importance to them. Uh, Joy has their hand up
1: again.
2: I do. I just wanted to comment on that uh, last uh, question about neoliberalism by pointing out that um, neoliberalism doesn't count the contributions of women at any age. If we're uh, <laughs> if we're uh, not employed and uh, actually earning uh, money,
0: yeah. Oh no, that's joy. You are you're a retired lawyer.
2: That's right. Yeah, okay. I am.
0: Do you still do any lawyering?
2: I don't do any formal lawyering. I'm not licensed to practice in Hawaii. Uh, only in California, but I'm uh, very active in the Hawaii Writers Guild here, and I'm working on a memoir right now.
0: Good, good for you. Anybody else have any comments or questions that you'd like to have answered? Somebody asked me why I was working toward a graduate certificate in women's studies, if I have four other degrees, um, just because it's there to be done.
1: There's a question in the chat from Shay asking if you can recommend a book for research on this subject of honoring women of all ages.
0: there's a lot of books, and I have had so much fun um, finding them. Just about when I think I'm finished, I find several more. The one that I mentioned uh, in my talk by um, Appleton called This Chair Rocks is really a a good one, and she gets into a lot of, of, of this, but I have a whole stack. In fact, I have a stack right by my desk right now of um books we'll I'll, let's talk shay i'll give you some other ideas sorry let's see what was the author's name of this chair rocks ashton applewhite i think is their name
2: Well, uh, last call for questions or comments. I'd like to say something. Um, Just thank you, Lucy, for being such a great role model. You've definitely inspired me. (laughs) Thank you so much. And this talk was delightful, wonderful,
0: inspiring. Thank Thank you.
6: You're delightful.
0: I'm sorry you're retired.
1: Yes, Lucy, I want to echo that. This is really, really wonderful. I've been inspired by it. Um, I really appreciate it. (laughs) Yes, thank you, oh my gosh. Um, Okay, I have screaming child. Uh, I want to thank everybody for coming today and being with us during the final colloquium of the year. Uh, If you want access to the recorded video, please feel free to email me after this. I'll put my email address in the chat. And if it's okay with Lucy, I will share that. I would you. love
0: for you to, I, I want a copy of it too.
1: Yeah. okay, great. Yeah, so I have your, I have everybody's contact from the Zoom registration, but if you could email me, I can be sure to send out the links afterwards. Uh, this has been really wonderful i hope that everyone has a pleasant rest of the day and weekend and then summer i guess and we look forward to seeing you in the future please take care now hui ho hui ho thank you i bye